the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Power Trip of Wrestling's Podcasting Empire. If you didn't know or by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back in time and we go back and look at the old school days of pro wrestling, the days that we very much yearn for and love and look back on very fondly, at least I do, on this show. Uh, the show that saved my uh, wrestling fandom, this is the show that kind of uh, brought me back out of the trenches of kind of uh, starting to turn against uh, the world of wrestling, but uh, the new generation. It's me. It's Chad. Every single week, it's new generation declassified here, the TMPT Empire. Uh, this week, I want to run down an interesting uh, TV taping of Monday Night Raw, but I'm also going to borrow from one of my other shows, and that is uh, one of the Eyes Up Here extras that I do with the Queen of Extreme, Francine. And you're asking yourself, why would you be borrowing anything from a show with ECW's Francine that has to do with the new generation. Well, it's a funny story. Uh, on this episode, I'm going to run down the Monday Night Raw TV taping from uh, July 1993, the exact date, July 19th, 1993, at the Manhattan Center in New York City. Uh, at this TV taping, the Queen of Extreme Francine was in attendance as a fan. She had won the tickets through the WWF. There was a promotion for WrestleMania, the album. I've talked about this before in a little bit of detail, but now I'll give it a little bit more uh, spotlight. And actually, one, I will, in the new year, have Francine on to discuss the story. We've run it down on Patreon, but if you're not on the Patreon channel for Eyes Up Here, then obviously you haven't heard the story. But Francine won a contest as part of the former music video channel, The Box, uh, for a superstar meet and greet and tickets to Monday Night Raw as part of the release of WrestleMania the album in 1993. Now we've covered WrestleMania the album on the airwaves here and we talked about WrestleMania the album and the, uh, the the greatness that it was all the way back I think earlier this year with uh, my great good friend Randy Helms running it down. Actually it might even have been in 2020 man it might have been that long ago but Randy Helms and I Ran it down and uh, broke down each track, and he's a music guy, so it was easy to discuss some of the uh, melodic tones of the wrestlers and the voice breakdown and the singing and the music collection and collaborations that went uh, into the making of WrestleMania, the album. So that's a great episode in the archive. Definitely check that out. It might even be something that as I kind of wind down the year, I'd like to uh, maybe do one new episode uh, next week and then the following or maybe next week we'll do the best of and then the following we'll do one new episode to close out the year i don't know but i think i got one live brand new show in me before i hit the old archives for uh for a mail-in i mean a sub episode did i say mail-in i didn't mean that uh but absolutely would love for anybody to check that out if you haven't if you haven't listened to it yet because that is a uh 
That's a great breakdown of WrestleMania, the album. So Francine wins a contest through the music video channel, The Box. Uh, she gets two tickets to Monday Night Raw. I believe she gets either flown up or a limo. I, I can't remember which was the mode of transportation because she did come up for two TV tapings of Monday Night Raw as part of this uh, promotion. What a what a great deal, huh? What a, what a way to win. She got a bunch of copies of the CD, and she got to go to two Monday Night Raw tapings at the Manhattan Center. And uh, one of them we just recently spotlighted on the Eyes of Here Extra and watched a complete match uh, because she is 100% hard camera in the middle of the screen. It is uh, fascinating to see if you uh, you didn't know it or you've seen this show countless times or the couple of shows that they taped uh, at this uh, the, this specific TV taping. She is whoop, right there in the middle. And uh, it's kind of funny when you really look at it. You're like, oh, damn, there's Francine. But now it's, uh, it's something we got to talk about. And we brought out uh, Bret Hart and Bam Bam Bigelow match. I'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. And uh, we covered it. And that's what you're going to hear on the tail end of the show. But I'm just going to run down what happened at this TV taping July 19th, 1993 in front of 1,200 screaming WWF maniacs at the Manhattan Center, the home of Monday Night Raw during 1993. Um, the Manhattan Center has a very cool vibe to it. And I've never been in it, but you could just tell that if you're in that building, there's there's just a different kind of vibe to it. Giving WWF a, a very gritty um, kind of feel, you know, versus maybe what the old Superstars tapings were like. Those were, were amazing in the, their own right. But they absolutely had that specific WWF feel. Didn't matter if you were in, you know, Utica, New York, or if you were in Chicago, Illinois. You felt like it was the same exact show. And that's not a bad thing. That's just the way the WWF did their production. I mean, you knew in the 90s and the 80s and the 2000s, if you were watching a WWF product or you were watching a WCW product. And you know what? I could even dare say you might even have that feel now about AEW. You might feel a certain way that, you know, it looks, it, you know, it's an AEW show just by the, the look of it. Well, you could tell a WWF from a WCW show uh, throughout the, uh, the eighties and the nineties, just because of the style of the, um, uh, the, the way they were filmed. And that goes to the credit of the WWF production and just how ridiculously uh, on point and amazing it, it is and has been, for all those years. So the, the critics of Kevin Dunn, they wonder why he's still there. Well, it's because they run a really, really tight ship uh, in the TV department. And obviously I've talked about that before. I've worked in the TV department at WWE. So I know exactly what goes into uh, the, the, the madness that is the WWF uh, television experience or WWE television experience it's uh it's quite the freaking ordeal and those guys take it very very uh, very seriously so um this taping itself um has a couple significant moments in uh wwf lore uh being that for these two weeks of television a lot of stuff happened that would have you know i would say some pretty significant uh, ramifications uh, in the grand scheme of WWF uh, land. Uh, these leading up to SummerSlam 1993, of course, the Lex Express, Yokozuna, the big SummerSlam uh, contest that, you know, again, uh, Husey, our buddy, his favorite topic, Lex Luger, 
on the show uh, talked about a lot, but you know, I'm sure we'll revisit it again uh, at some point just because uh, why not? And it's Lex Luger and there's always something to talk about for sure. Uh, but this is, uh, this is an interesting taping. And uh, I got to say, it's one of those where I get, I never realized how much really goes on in the dual taping uh, world because you, you just kind of watch the show as the show is going on. You don't really get that there's a lot of things happening, but this is uh, this is quite the uh, this is quite the show. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty shocked when I read the uh, the whole full results. Um, if you go to the history of WWE.com, you go to the ring results. You go to 1993, and you go all the way down to July 19th, 1993. You get to the Monday Night Raw taping, and the first line, and this is something that we talked about in the uh, the Eyes of Fear episode. The first line is that future ECW star Francine was in attendance for the show. Now, <laughs> whether she she believed me or not, it becomes a significant. Uh, comment about this show because you know Francine two years later would be in the 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 middle of ECW TV she'd start training only a few months later in 93 but two years later you know and on her way into 96 I mean she's completely ensconced in the wrestling business here she's just a fan at ringside you know and in the episode she talks about t-shirts that she was buying that night and just to see 93 versus 95 96 uh, and then even four years later in 97, where she's with the number one heel in ECW and right by his side, it's a fascinating journey. So to see it start here and for her to be mentioned in the uh, the kind of the byline of the uh, the night and the, the results, it's pretty cool. And that's a great credit to Francine's career that she had that much of an impact that she could be talked about as being in the crowd for a certain show. And she also points out Mikey Whipwreck uh, might have also been at this show because, again, she went to two of them. And she knows Mikey was at one. So she said uh, Mikey could very well have been at this uh, episode as well. But the dark match of the night before the show kicked off, Rich Myers versus Dwayne Gill. That's a, a great one to get the crowd ready uh, for the evening. Rich Myers, don't know much about him. Dwayne Gill, obviously we know Gilberg. Uh, whether or not this was something uh, giving Rich Myers a, uh, a, <laughs> a tryout of some sort, uh, that I don't know. If you look up uh, Rich Myers uh, in the Internet Wrestling Database, he's got quite the uh, the WWF run. He, he'd be a great guy to have on for this uh, this specific program because he absolutely was on countless New Generation uh, TV tapings. And uh, you know what? I might have to make a little note of that and go find Richard Myers here, uh, well, close to me, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, taking on Dwayne Gill, they were probably buddies. They probably were uh, were training buddies at some point. Uh, Gilberg being, of course, from the same area, the, uh, the the Baltimore area. So Rich Myers and Dwayne Gill kick off the show. The asterisk uh, italic text for this episode says, feature footage from the start of the Lex Express tour included Tiny Tim as a guest of the King's Court in which Jerry Lawler broke Tiny Tim's ukulele for calling him the Dairy Queen. So now that in itself, we got to stop right there. That's a huge moment in the early days of Monday Night Raw because that was used for years as part of the Jerry Lawler's The Meanest Guy in the WWF uh, kind of backstory. Tiny Tim, I would say on the uh, tail end of his uh, career, and definitely not at the height of popularity, uh, but being just a very odd-looking individual and uh, quite the sideshow 
fit in perfect with the WWF, so he was on the King's Court. Uh, Francine mentions this in the show, and I had to point out this is the same one that Tiny Tim was on. She said they were, she remembers them talking about Tiny Tim. Well, no, Tiny Tim was on the show. He was on the King's Court uh, on a very small King's Court set because I don't even know how the hell they got it into the uh, the Manhattan Center because there was not a lot of room to have a stage for um, a talk show like the King's Court. But, uh, yeah, he asked Tiny Tim to come on and do a little tiptoe through the tulips, the Tiny Tim classic. And uh, he breaks the ukulele for Tiny Tim calling him the Dairy Queen. And now that's another funny thing. Francine points that out in the uh, the watch-along that uh, we did of uh, one of the upcoming matches that uh, they were chanting Dairy Queen at Jerry Lawler. Well, this is one of the reasons why. Uh, there was also another pretty significant moment on this show that you probably don't remember. Uh, this is the night that Ted DiBiase cut a promo on Razor Ramon, uh, leading to Razor Ramon coming out to the ring and ending up uh, baby, babyface turning on uh, DiBiase and IRS. This was it. This is where they offered I, uh, uh, Razor Ramon a job to be uh, their um, custodian. And uh, they had offered him to be the butler, and he turned it down. And this was where uh, Razor Ramon becomes uh, the, the good guy, Razor Ramon, we would come to know and love from 93 to when he left in 96. And as funny as it is, Razor Ramon really only having a few years as that character, but that character technically being a WWE Hall of Famer and just absolutely beloved. Well, this is the night that he, uh, he turns heel. And he, uh, yeah, is uh, he, he he would go on to have his great run as Razor Ramon after this night. Uh, he was kind of, I guess you would say, just kind of like in the middle after the the one two three kid loss. Um, I don't know what they saw in it that they wanted to flip him, but uh, the one two three kid being in the middle of this feud and DiBiase then challenging the kid and saying he could beat him in thirty seconds. Of course, he would go on to lose and uh, uh, be defeated by the one two three kid. The kid would go on to take on uh, IRS at SummerSlam and DiBiase and Razor Ramon would have a match and it would be DiBiase's last major WWF pay-per-view appearance at SummerSlam 1993 as a wrestler. And uh, yeah, it all started on this show where babyface uh, Razor Ramon came out and, uh, and took care of business. Uh, but that's not all. Uh, also on this show, uh, the Steiner brothers uh, were hyping up their upcoming title match for the following week's uh, episode. But it also featured the PWI match of the year. Okay, now back in the day, let's go back to 1993. This was a big deal for PWI to give you a match of the year uh, moniker or, or, or a label. Uh, Shawn Michaels, with his new bodyguard, Diesel, pinned Marty Jannetty at around the 23-minute mark uh, to retain the Intercontinental Championship after Janetti misses a crossbody, hit the floor, and was rolled back into the ring by Diesel. Janetti originally wins the match with the uh, and the title with the DDT, but referee Earl Hebner failed to notice Shawn Michaels' foot on the bottom rope during the cover. After the commercial break, Diesel and Bobby Heenan showed a replay to uh, Hebner, thus switching the finish, and the match was ordered to continue. So... A lot of backstory with this one. Earlier in the year, the shocking return of Marty Jannetty on uh, earlier edition of Monday Night Raw. I believe it was May. It might have also been the night that the one, two, three kid beats um, Razor Ramon. Uh, Jannetty had been on 
from the WWF from January till about May and uh, gets his job back, comes and confronts Shawn Michaels, comes through the crowd, great reveal, crowd goes nuts. He wins the Inter Intercontinental Championship. But being that it's Marty Jannetty and he always has something going on, he had to be uh, kind of replaced rather quickly. And uh, they took the belt off of him. They put it back on Shawn Michaels. There's a great steel cage match that they had in this time um, that is on uh, Coliseum Video and has since been released on a few other uh, home videos, uh, which, by the way, RIP uh, WWE home video. Uh, but this match specifically uh, was the rematch to the Diesel debut, where Diesel debuts at a house show to help Shawn Michaels defeat Marty Jannetty for the Intercontinental Championship. This is the rematch. So Diesel is an absolutely fresh character at this point. We barely know anything about him. If you're a fan, you knew who he was. You saw him on WCW. But Diesel, fresh coat of paint in the WWF. Now he's Shawn Michaels heavy, and he helps him uh, retain by rolling him back into the ring and also pointing out to Earl Hebner that the uh, the foot was on the rope, thus restarting the match. Now, of course, the rules being what they are uh, in any given match, uh, normally, you know, we probably see some sort of interference by uh, a commissioner or Jack Tunney or somebody like that to help switch the decision. But this, it was just a very convincing Bobby Heenan and Diesel that helped flip the decision. This match is awesome. This match is unbelievable. If you like fast-paced, high-flying for that era, not spectacular high-flying, but for that era high-flying, this match has it all. It's got the drama of the Rockers still. I don't care how many times they could do it, whether it was 93, 94, if they were in the Royal Rumble together, 1996. Michaels and Jannetty always had a great chemistry whenever they touched in the ring. Everyone knew the story. Everyone knew how great they were as a tag team, and you had to figure that was going to translate well into any singles matches they had, which is um, this one standing out. It's also on, and if you have this old DVD from about 2004, <clears throat> it's the best of the Intercontinental Championship. This match is on it. It is uh, a great one. It is a, a, it's a stellar, stellar match. The I do like the one that Jannetty wins earlier in the year, but this one I have to put over it. This is uh, this is a fantastic, fantastic match, start to finish. Go out of your way to watch this over the, uh, the Christmas break. Uh, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal match. And again, match of the year in 1993, voted by uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which at the time uh, was a huge, huge deal. Uh, also on this show, Men on a Mission make their Raw debut, taking on Rich Myers and Hank Harris. Uh, the great Bastion Booger takes uh, takes Scott Despress to the limit and defeats him in about a minute. Uh, the one two three kid pins Chris Duffy, pins Chris Duffy during the bout. Money Incorporated comes to ringside to watch the match, prompting Razor Ramon to come out as well after the contest. The kid, not wanting to go past uh, Money Inc. or Razor, leaves through the crowd and Razor tosses DiBiase. So this is before they would become uh, buddies. Uh, and that's uh, kind of how they sign off on this show. Uh, one, two, three, kid and Razor would obviously be tied to each other for the rest of their time following SummerSlam. Um, two shows taped this night. They would move on to the July 26, 1993 edition of Raw, which is the uh, little portion you're going to hear in just a minute from the Eyes Up Here Extra. This included a vignette of Ludwig Borga 
It featured Vince McMahon conducting an interview with Lex Luger regarding the title shot at SummerSlam and the status of the Lex Express. Uh, and the big one here that we're going to talk about in detail with Francine because we watched the whole match. Bam Bam Bigelow defeats Bret Hart via countout at around the 17-minute mark when Bret Hart leaves to the crowd after Jerry Lawler appears in the balcony of the Manhattan Center and taunts Bret Hart's parents, Stu and Helen Hart. Uh, it's very funny. The commentary is great by Jerry Lawler, kind of uh, riffing on Stu Hart. Stu and his uh, comebacks are just as hilarious because they're uh, not that great, but if you know the Stu Hart voice, you uh, you know you you can laugh at every single one of them. This has been released on home video. It's on the Best of Raw seasons one and two. That's also an older release, uh, a great one that they put out years ago. If you haven't been able to find that, go find it. I believe these are both on Peacock, so you can get them uh, if you look hard enough. Even if you just type it into the old Google machine, you'll find it on Daily Motion. It's uh, it's on there. Uh, Mr. Hughes defeats Russ Greenberg. The Smoking Guns defeat Dwayne Gill and Glenn Ruth. Now let's play trivia. Glenn Ruth, anybody know him? Let's wait for some answers. Anybody? That's right. If you said it was Headbanger Thrasher, you were correct. I'm glad we could all play this game uh, together. But the Smoking Guns uh, looking absolutely phenomenal in this uh, in this match. Uh, just jacked to the to the gills. And uh, in, in great form uh, with their great backdrop pile driver double team combination. It's uh, it, it was a great move. They couldn't do it on a lot of guys, but they used it in this match and it's uh, it's off the charts. Uh, Doink the Clown would challenge uh, the great Phil Apollo and defeat him with the whoopee cushion. And after the bout, Doink grabs the mic, challenges the macho man to a match for the following week. And uh, two more Doinks came to ringside to help with the mind games of uh, getting under the skin of the Macho Man. Now, if you look a week later, the uh, match between Randy Savage and Doink would be in Poughkeepsie, New York. It would feature uh, the debut of the Macho Midget, which was Tiger Jackson under a mask. And it's rather freaky if you go back and look at it. And uh, it's the following week. He's in the Stars and Stripes uh, Macho Man attire, which has become very famous over the last couple of years. And uh, that is the following week on uh, Monday Night Raw, a live edition of Raw. I remember watching that one very clearly and being freaked out uh, to almighty hell when the Macho Midget came out and uh, made his uh, short-lived debut. Uh, and if you were staying around, and I'm sure Francine was, I asked her. She did not remember. Uh, after the taping took place, uh, the go-home, if you will, subbing for The Undertaker, the newly minted babyface Razor Ramon, Defeated Mr. Hughes. So you got a little bit extra for your money that night as Razor Ramon takes on Mr. Hughes in the babyface role. Uh, what a taping. What a night. A lot of great stuff happened. I'm going to let Francine and I take over here in just a minute so you can hear what we had to say on the Eyes Up Here Extra. Watching the match itself. If you can find it, sync it up with it. And we'll, uh, we would love to uh, have you come and join us over on Patreon. When you can, uh, without a doubt. But this is a fun uh, watch along that we did. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you the whole thing. You want the whole thing, you got to subscribe to Patreon. But I'm going to give you a portion of the episode uh, where Francine kind of gives some of the backstory of what was going on that night as well. Um, and that's kind of it. Like I said, we'll have one more new show before the end of the year. And I'm going to throw uh, something from the archives out there. Um, probably next week for the uh, the Christmas holiday uh, your old buddy, the chats are uh, traveling, so it might be a little harder to uh, get a new episode recorded. 
Uh, so let's wrap it up. Let's get to the uh, the meat and potatoes of this bad boy. Uh, but I will do my sign off right now uh, before we throw it over. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Chad EMB. If you want to check me out on Instagram, it's at IB Exclusives. My website is IBExclusives.com. This website is TMPTEmpire.com, where you find all the podcasts under the TMPT umbrella, the archive, the shows, the great stuff that John's got going on with the interviews. Uh, check it out. Support us in any way you can. This is uh, almost eight years uh, running strong with the two-man power trip, and it uh, doesn't look like there's any sign of stopping yet. So check out tmptempire.com check out the russo brand where we've got the triple threat podcast with the franchise shane douglas myself and john paz doing it like only we can on the triple threat throwing up the three fingers every week and listening to the world according to the franchise shane douglas and of course eyes up here with the queen of extreme francine on patreon patreon.com slash francine podcast as well as uh simulcast about a week late on the Creative Control Network uh, product of the great Joe Feeney. So uh, I will get out of here for now. I'm going to throw it over to this uh, portion of the Eyes Appear Extra. So uh, I thank everybody for checking this one out, and uh, we will uh, literally catch you on the flip side. But I never went to indie shows either. This was like the only wrestling I've ever seen in person. You you were strictly a big show girl. You you were only about going to the main. <laughs> My friends weren't in, into it. So it wasn't like I had people to like, oh, let's go to Jersey All Pro or let's go to whatever ran. Because I didn't even know about indies. Right. All I knew was this and Global. Those were yeah. the only two that I watched. I didn't know indie shots. And then at this show, that's where I met like in the front row. It's like Blackjack Brown. It was a bunch of Mm -hmm. photographers. They were all giving me their phone numbers and stuff. And that's when Blackjack said, do you want to start doing indie work? And I go, as what? And he goes, oh, as a manager or valet or something. I go, what? And he goes, yeah, you'll probably make like 50 bucks. And I was like, huh? And uh, it didn't happen. I didn't do that. But then a, a light bulb went off. And then I saw ECW. And I said, well, I'm going to call that number. If Blackjack thought I could do it, maybe I can do it. No, that's a good point. And like you you said, and we'll see when they come back from this uh, this commercial break, because we did get all the vintage commercials here, uh, including the case closed hotline. Um, a lot of the regulars that you would see at ECW shows were also in the front row at this, like uh, Ringside Charlie and the, the Rob Zombie guy well, yeah, with the long hair. Yeah, this New York, so it was, right. you know, hop, skip, and a jump away. So now you got Bam Bam, Luna, Brett. I mean, this is like, uh, let's see if we can get you in that shot. There you go. I was taking pictures, I think. Oh, we'd love to find that film, huh? <laughs> I don't know where that is. Did, did you ever develop it? Probably. Look at Bam Bam. Oh, they cut on his cartwheel. Come on. He's the best. So this is Bam Bam four years before, you know, you guys would take over ECW with the triple threat. He looks exactly the same. I know. (laughs) I know he does. Because he was not that old. He had just been around for a long time. Right. Well, didn't he start? He started in his teens. Yeah, he started really young, but he just always looked like a man. And that's why, (laughs) you know, in the mid 90s. He was born with a goatee. Yeah, he had tattoos on his head, too. Right. But like in the mid 90s, you know, he left where he left the WWF in 88. He went to Japan. Nobody really saw him. So when he pops back up in the WWF, everybody's like, oh, Bam Bam Bigelow. He's been around forever. He's probably like 27. (laughs) He's so young. Right. But it's, 
it's so funny too. The, the Manhattan Center inside the Hammer, uh, the, the where the Hammerstein Ballroom is, it's not the biggest venue in the no, world. No, it's but, small. No, but this show makes it feel like it's an arena the way it's put off. It's it's one of those things again. I said it before the intimacy, and it's just <clears throat> because it's so small, it's very loud. Right. You know, but you can connect with the person in the front row and you could connect with the person in the balcony because right. it's just there's not a lot of people there. And it's great. It's a great venue to perform in. Yeah. And and the electricity here was awesome. Like everybody was into this, yeah. you know, I think yeah, the a, bigger big venues, you lose that you lose that sort of intimacy. It's not there. Yeah, and for 1993, this is a, a TV match that was technically a pay-per-view rematch. You didn't get that on TV. So in a building like this, it, that's a huge deal mm-hmm. at that point. And do you think that that's lost? Would you rather see the shows in arenas and in, in venues like this rather than those massive arenas where they're tapering off seats? I mean, well, you know, the, the bigger the venue, the more money the company makes, the more money the talent makes. So, you know, I, I'm sure talent would like to see bigger buildings because if you if you get paid by the, the house, you, you get extra or whatever. See, we never did that. Right. <laughs> that wasn't a factor. <laughs> you, you could have one person or a million people. We would get the same amount of money. Right. We never got more than what we were promised. Um but at, at performing wise, I'd rather perform in a building like this than a Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's I mean, what a great you just spot. Feel the energy more. It's just I can't I can't describe it. It's a different feeling. Sometimes, like the building's so big, it's loud, but the noise kind of drowns itself out, and you're just kind of floating. And I I can't explain it. Right. It, whole different uh perception with the bigger and smaller buildings now the colors this is always something i like to point out with the 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 wwf at this point their colors are so bright and so vibrant the multi-colored logo by the entranceway brett in pink the blue around the ring was this did this pop in person the way it looks like it did on an old video footage of it dude i don't remember you don't remember that (laughs) you don't remember what that color looked like on that that screen thing come on that thing is unbelievable that should be ingrained in your brain forever. Not I, I look at me. I'm I'm taking so many pictures at this point. I'm just like, ooh, they're near me. I'm gonna take a picture. How many rolls of film were purchased? For I don't this? even know. <laughs> I, I don't even remember owning that camera. I don't even know what the hell that was. I know I don't have these pictures anymore. I must have uh, threw them out. Uh the other famous thing that happens on this show is in the in a, a pre-show uh segment outside the building, Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels get into like a street fight. And famously, uh, Mr. Perfect throws Shawn Michaels through Howard Finkel's windshield. Oh, nice. Unbeknownst to the Fink. Rent a car? <laughs> no. <laughs> they were in New York. Fink drove his car down from Oh, uh, did he? Yeah, on a shoot? From, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Shawn Michaels goes right through the uh, – his. it's actually – like it looked like it was supposed to just land on the hood, but his feet kicked the, the windshield out. Um, who do you call for that? That uh, windshield, please. <laughs> oh, Briscoe Brothers. <laughs> oh no, I, I, there's a. Oh, uh, uh, what's yeah, the like name a of it? Crack um, come in, they'll fix your windshield. Oh, safe flight repair. Yes, safe flight <laughs> safe replace. Flight. <laughs> uh, we can move forward a little bit here past the commercial. I'll get you the timestamp. It is. Oh. Hold on, it's just going to commercial again. Fifteen forty-nine. Go to. Yeah, I was just about to say that. All right. So oh, I go. got it. I got it right on the. Right on the nose here. You're you're like a pro these days. 
<laughs> I told you there wasn't that many ads. There's just ads in the freaking show. Yeah, that's okay. I'm just so, sitting there like a good little uh, fan clapping and there's Charlie and Vladimir and all those guys that I met. And I, was, I was just watching something that was from 1987 and Charlie and Vladimir are right in the there? front row. Right, right in the front row. It's actually really cool. Roddy Piper has Vladimir come up on the um, the apron and say oh. something in the promo. It's all, it's, 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 the place goes nuts. Now, I just read yesterday, I believe it was. They were doing a doc on Vladimir, but yeah. now they scrapped it. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Why even bother doing it if you're not going to put it out? I don't know. That's it's a shame. Well, they they did the same thing to uh, to Kevin Thorne. They they filmed a whole segment of him for like Where Are They Now? Came out with filmed him doing his real estate stuff. It's been on the cutting room floor for two years. Wow. <laughs> so now the only thing, and we you know the match is going to still continue, but I just want to have uh, the the segment where Lawler comes into the match because this is distracting and it's something that I would wonder would somebody in the front row still be taking pictures of the match <laughs> or reaching up for Lawler? I don't know. I, I think at this point I hate it. Luna. I'm such a mark. I'm like, I don't like that girl. <laughs> and then I meet her when I work, you know, when she's in ECW, I'm like, she's such a sweet lady. <laughs> you know, as a fan, I wasn't aware of like the dirt sheets. I didn't know. You know, I didn't believe it was like everything was true, but I didn't know how much of a work things were either because this whole this was so new to me mm -hmm. at this point. You know, I was just a casual fan who watched on TV and then I, you know, I win this contest and everything starts to it's like dominoes. Everything starts to fall into place for me after this. I, ca I caught the bug, if you will. Yeah, I mean, she, Luna in ECW, you know, in 95, it's like right around that time, right? When you're you're getting started. Well, I started in 93. I did house shows for that. Right, but like, but yeah, but like, like your TV did. role. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, speaking of marks, I'd be a mark for anything, Brett. You're look, you're counting out Bam Bam right there. You're like, yeah. Yep, and, I was. Oh, anything, no. Brett. To me, Brett, I, I don't think I knew that was called a false finish at that point. You were going to learn. You're going to learn. I, I think know, everything right? Brett does is clean. I love every match I've ever seen of Bret Hart's. He's okay. it's easy to watch every time. I was a he's big a Bret Hart with... fan. I had oh. a T-shirt of his, and oh, okay. Um, I had the big shirt uh, that was white with the pink Hitman with his face with the glasses. Yes, yes, That's I know that shirt. I yes, I think I might have bought it here that night. Actually, I, I believe it. I might have. They had a little concession stand right outside that door. It was small. It was like a couple tables and they sold the T-shirts right there. They had the best merchandise. I yeah. mean, always did. Uh, Brett loved working with Bam Bam, said he was one of the easiest guys that he could have a match 100%. with. He's 100% correct. Yeah. You see, whenever Brett needed a, a filler like match in between feuds on a house show, it was Brett Bam Bam. Gotcha. All right, so I think is this where it is? I know he starts going for I the sharpshooter. I hope it's coming soon because yeah. Uh... yeah, we're getting ready to wrap up. Don't worry. <laughs> so he starts going for the sharpshooter, right? Don't look to the fans, just put it on. Don't worry about them. Now you see up in the balcony right behind Brett. Does he go after the parent? He goes uh, doing a move him? or something? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 
<laughs> so you don't remember this? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> hiding under your cage. <laughs> He's so cute. He's not put him over at all. <laughs> Lawler's the best. <laughs> and Helen's just like, oh, I hope I don't get hit in this segment. <laughs> <laughs> I love so you're the self-appointed king of the ring, eh? <laughs> Where were you? <laughs> look at that shot. I mean, look at how cool that looks. Come on. He said the same line again. <laughs> oh, God. That's awful. That's great. I mean, it's oh, just, it's so good. And where are you? Where are you? Get him, Helen. Keep your mouth closed. All right. So the, I'm, I think I'm a few seconds ahead of you. Yeah. You're, you're standing up. You're looking up at the action up there. Yes. I'm clapping. You, you got that camera in hand. Trying to I get have my camera, my cage. long sleeve. I don't know where I was going with that shirt. I was very dramatic. <laughs> she's laughing the mom's laughing oh there's three minutes left oh good lord come on <laughs> they didn't give Stu any good lines <laughs> I don't know if Stu remembered them at that point. Poor man. Uh -huh. Oh, burn. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> the Dead Sea was only sick. It's the best. Oh, man. That's because it was near you, Helen said. Oh, bless their hearts. Is Helen Hart still alive? No, no, they both passed. She passed away. before yeah. Stu? No, I or maybe yeah, she did. She did, yes. Twelve children. God bless them. Man, they gotta be walking out by number Woo! twelve. <laughs> That's Owen walking out at number twelve. <laughs> wow. I wanna know if Francie was chanting Burger King. At Jerry Lawler. I think they were chanting Dairy Queen. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's not, you can't say that anymore. That's what they were chanting. You can't refer to him as a queen. And oh, my I, God. I, Take I, it I, home, boys, please. How ironic. You become the queen. We can end right. it. I mean, we can end it here. He's, it's going to be a count out. Spoiler. Okay. Right. DDT I know. Um, 
the other uh the other episode the guy kept putting me on camera <laughs> I'm just like, yay. I, yeah, and I, I thought that was, this was just a better match to oh, talk I'm sure through. it was. I, I don't remember what the other The other one ones was, were squashes. But... So this one was uh, was a little bit more lengthy. And I, I do think one of the matches was like um, Scott Hall and 123Kid. And 123Kid got the upset and he got the bag of money. I think that was one of the things they did when I was there. Um, uh, let me see here. They have – one was there. Well, on uh, this show, maybe it was the other one. I'd have to look at the other yeah. one. That, that one, they are no, they it's a different match. Like it I was, said, it was one of the shows I was at. It was he he did the upset because no one thought that he was going to win because he was a jobber and he won and he got the like ten thousand dollars or something. I don't know. Did you stay for the after the show dark match? Probably, unless the car picked us up. I don't. I don't know. I don't not know. not really like popping off the page. It's not like Hulk Hogan, you know, slams Yokozuna. It was uh, Razor Ramon defeats Mr. Hughes. <laughs> oh, just yeah, I get some extra work in at the end of the night. I had All to right. leave when they told me the yeah. car was there. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Miss Front Row. I know. Contest winner. Get out right? of here. <laughs> boo, boo. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we'll get out of here for today. This was a fun one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I dropped the link in the comments and uh, listen to it on a future episode of New Generation Declassified. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Just kidding. For the Queen of Extreme, it's the Chad Sturt. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.